Welcome aboard another journey into reshaping America. Kurt Flewelling here. Good to have you with us. I was telling Mr. Producer, I'm not feeling it today, man. Y'all gonna have to carry me. Um, I have just been, and I know my listeners are, uh, can feel this pain. I have just been discouraged lately. And, um, I, I think I'll give myself the same advice I give to people when they're discouraged. You, you just got to look vertical. You can't look horizontal. If we continue to look at the impeachment nonsense, um, you have people that um, are just absolutely misrepresenting who they are and what transpired in some fourth-hand account of a phone call and all this just absolute nonsense. And you uh, look at the news of the day and it seems to be just so discouraging. And it, it's very normal. It is very normal. Just go to the Bible and there are uh, there are great men and women of the Bible that are uh, greater than, than you and I will ever be that doubted. And they said, God, what are you doing? How long do we have to wait? Why is good um, seemingly being defeated by evil? Why is evil triumphing? Why do people that are lying, cheating, stealing, prospering? And why are people that are playing by the rules and are righteous and are doing everything you want them to do seem to be getting slapped around and misrepresented and not blessed? I mean, why, 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 why? We, uh, we all suffer from that. And... Um, I, I just, I'm going to have to take the advice that I give people all the time. And we, we got to look up, we got to look vertical because if we stay looking horizontal at all this nonsense that's going around, uh, going on around us, we can become extraordinarily discouraged. And, uh, our Lord, he sits on the throne, um, then now and forever. And he is very much upset with what's going on and the, the normal, uh, response by us is, well, well then God, why don't you do something about it? And sometimes he does very quickly. Most of the time he does a lot slower than we would like him to. And then sometimes he doesn't seem to move at all. And we just say, why, 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 why? And, um, it's very difficult because the people that oppose God and God's principles and what we would consider uh, many folks in this audience, right versus wrong. They're working 24 seven. They seem to have much more energy than we do. They seem to have boundless uh, amounts of time. And, um, and we just feel time strapped and we feel like we just can't get it all done. And, and we're, we're just going to have to rely on God and we're going to have to ask God to give us the energy to go to James 1, 5, which says, uh, give me wisdom, Lord, and, um, and give it to me abundantly. And if you ask him that, he will give it to you abundantly. And that wisdom is, what do you want me to do about this thing? What is my calling? Do you want me to be a teacher? Do you want me to be a politician? Do you want me to call a radio show? Do you want me to write my congressman? Do you want me to pick five people in my neighborhood to talk to Jesus, uh, talk about Jesus to? What do you want me to do to help the kingdom be furthered and right versus or right to triumph over wrong. And, um, it's, um, 
it's something that we have to ask. And then when we, uh, when we get the word from the Lord, we have to just embark on that with every fiber in our being. And that's all we can do. And at the end of the day, when we're weary, listening to um, the back and forth on the radio, watching all the talking heads, either from MSNBC or Fox News or Newsmax or wherever you go for your news, hearing people talk at uh, work at the water cooler or wherever you work. Um, some people making a lot of sense. Some people making no sense. People getting really frustrated that people don't understand the issues of the day. We got to meet people where they are. I've said that numerous times on this show. We, we become increasingly frustrated with people that are trying to lie, cheat, and steal. And on top of that, people that presumably have common sense and they're decent people not knowing the first thing about what's going on. And that could be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, the, uh, the Democrats are just going to keep this drumbeat going. And um, the good news is when I talk to people, a lot of people don't even know this is on television all day long. And the ratings, as we have heard, are terrible. And they're probably terrible for a lot of reasons. It, it is pretty boring stuff unless you're into it. Um, also, it's hard to understand. The whole Ukraine thing is very difficult to understand. We could uh, put out a little pamphlet, Ukraine, Trump, Biden for dummies, if you want to do that. Um, I can give you a, you know, a 60-second, 50,000-foot um, view of it if, if you need that tutorial again. But a lot of times, you know, people come in all stripes. They uh, People know all the various details about this, and some people don't even know anything about it. And uh, maybe it is a good time to at least revisit what we do know. And uh, one, one of the things that I find to be quite interesting is you don't have to know all the details of any issue, really. And uh, certainly this pertains to the whole Ukraine quid pro quo, bribery, whatever you want to call it, that the Democrats are trying to uh, to put out there. You really don't have to know all the details you have to know who the players are and where they stand on the, uh, on the political continuum. And when you know that, then you, you get a, a clearer picture of what's going on. And then it, I, I know details matter and facts matter, but what they're saying tends to become secondary if you know who they are and what they're all about. And, and, you know, in, instead of chronicling for the millionth time what's going on, what was going on in Ukraine um, during that phone call and all of those things, you, you know, maybe we should focus on some of the people that are up there just absolutely lying through their teeth. Um, today we had Fiona Hill. Uh, the other day we had Ambassador Sondland, Ambassador uh, Yovanovitch, Colonel Vinman. Um, rather than, uh, you know, dissect their inconsistencies. Um, we might want to know who they are politically coming into some of these things. And then, then it makes a little bit more sense why people are not, um, not really believing a lot of the things they say. Many of these people are, are career diplomat or, uh, uh, career hacks, bureaucrats, if you will. Colonel Vinman, even though he, uh, wears the suit, 
Um, don't, don't be fooled that people in our military are categorically for mom, apple pie in the American way and conservatism and Republicanism for in a lesser extent. They're not, there's a lot of people that are very self-serving, uh, folks in the military. And, um, the, the irony is the left has such contempt for the military and the uniform that represents many of these people yet when it is in their best interest, they will be quite deferential to uh, Colonel Vinman and um, encourage him to wear his military uh, garb when it serves a purpose. But if you look at all the the three or four people that I mentioned, um, many of them, particularly during the Obama years, were um, very pro-Russia, very pro-corrupt Ukrainian government at the time that was... um, a de facto Russian government. It was almost like, uh, you know, the, the, the puppet regimes during the Soviet union. Um, they didn't get the message that, uh, we, you know, we broke up and, and, and piecemealed out some independence to some of these countries. And, um, there, there were a lot of people, um, it was kind of a synergistic thing. There were a lot of people in the Ukrainian government that were very cozy with Vladimir Putin and Russian, uh, uh, Russian by by heritage, and that coupled with the fact that Ukraine is is one of the most corrupt places on the planet, um, you had policies that um, that were not in the best interest of the true Ukrainian people or people that are uh, Donald Trump would probably and I would also consider our allies now. At the time, there was a lot of turmoil going on in Ukraine. And um, the Ukrainian people were screaming to uh, Barack Obama to do something um, a little bit more than giving them warm blankets and cocoa. And he would not do that as far as military assistance is concerned, because that is contrary to his worldview. His worldview is very pro-Russia and very pro-Vladimir Putin. And that did not sit well with the rank and file Ukrainians that were striving for to, to be free. And uh, Ukrainians at the highest level, with a wink and a nod, were basically puppets of, of uh, Russia. So nothing really got done. The corruption, uh, the Burisma thing that we all hear about with Joe Biden's son and and Joe Biden um, stupidly announcing on a video uh, for the whole world to see that he was the the original quid pro Joe, as far as um, I got this guy fired, and and uh, and uh, it, you know that is something that people just don't understand. Uh, it was it was it was cloaked in. Um, we we cleaned up this corrupt Ukrainian government when in reality. The, the former um, heads of that country were very cozy with Russia. Barack Obama knew that, didn't give the Ukrainian resistance any type of uh, uh, support um, uh, militarily or, or with arms or any of these things. And, um, and that's, that's what we had. Now, fast forward to a, a new day in Ukraine, a new president, someone that in all accounts, wanted to clean up the old ways. And um, this is somebody that Fiona Hill and Sondland and Yovanovitch and Vindman, 
they they were very comfortable with the old ways of doing things as far as interaction with Ukraine was concerned. Um, now, you know, we, we have Donald Trump that it just wants some, uh, a lack of corruption. We're, we're not going to give money to people that are just uh, anti-American, pro-Russia. Uh, our interests mean things across the world. And um, I, I can't uh, think of uh, any other way to put it, but the, the Hill, Sondland, Yovanovitch, they're not real happy with Donald Trump's brand of foreign policy. So we, we get out there and we, we see these folks saying that they care so much for Ukraine and they sit and, and Donald Trump jeopardized Ukrainian um, funding for this and for that. When in reality, for eight solid years of the Obama administration, these people didn't give a rat's rear end about the Ukrainian people at all. And the, the, the corrupt puppet Russia um, uh, leaders that they were under. They didn't care at all. But all of a sudden, when it comes to bringing down Donald Trump, all of a sudden, they're all patriotic. They're all pro-Ukraine. And um, they're, they're so concerned that they just have to testify in front of the, the world that Donald Trump and his uh, alleged quid pro quo was holding up um, needed funds for the Ukrainian people, when in reality, they didn't care about that at all for eight years. So you really don't need to know about the Burisma and, and uh, it used to be quid pro quo and that didn't get any traction. And now we call it blackmail and, 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 and uh, heretofore, you didn't really hear Biden's name that much. But now recently in paying attention to the testimony in the last few days, I hear Burisma Biden, Burisma Biden, Burisma Biden over and over again, which for our anarchist friends on the left, that's a twofer. If you can bring down Donald Trump and um, whack um, Joe Biden at the knees and get him out of the Democrat um, primary process, um, that's a twofer. And that's how the new Democrat Party operates. Anarchists don't have meetings like traditional Republicans and Democrats and strategize, well, what if we do this, then that's going to happen. If we do that, that's going to happen. Anarchists, those are very short meetings. They just say, burn it all down, sometimes quite literally. And so I, I've said uh, on, on this show uh, on several times, I don't see how Joe Biden escapes this. You just cannot bring down Donald Trump by saying that uh, he was going after his opponent, Joe Biden, without bringing up barisma, corruption, corruption on the part of the Bidens. Y you can't, they, they are, in a, even to the casual observer, they are inextricably intertwined and, and you just, you can't, you can't separate one from the other. So in, in the, in the world of AOC and the squad and people that are certainly not your father or grandfather's Democrat party, this is a twofer. Uh, we're going to get Donald Trump and, uh, and we'll knock Biden out of the picture as well. And, um, you know, it, it's, um, it, it, it just, I, I don't know. I, I know a lot about politics, but I'm not a great prognosticator. I always say that up front. And, um, you know, I didn't know how this was going to shake out and I still don't 
but but something inside me still kind of thinks that those 40 to 50 vulnerable freshmen um, congressmen and women are not going to lock, stock, and barrel vote to impeach um, Donald Trump. Now, I, I know some of them that have tight races or it, it maybe are, are some degree safer in districts that Trump won, um, maybe in districts that Trump didn't win uh, by too much, or maybe, in, let, me, let me rephrase that, if, if the Democrat flipped the, the, uh, the congressional district, but Donald Trump won it by 15 points, I don't, you know, it's a math game. I, I don't see um, Nancy Pelosi leaning on them too hard to vote for impeachment. Um, maybe it's, it's safe for them to not vote for impeachment, um, to bridge that gap a little. But in, in close races, I, I, don't, I don't see how, um, I, I just don't see how these 40 to 50 people who enjoy the $170,000 a year salary, which is really a drop in the bucket to what they will accrue over the course of time if they're reelected and then elected for a third time, probably after three times the schmoozing that they've done in Washington, the political capital that they've gained, the, um, the, uh, I just had this discussion with a Republican operative yesterday about, um, how many of them, and we all know this, are, um, are lobbyists in Washington after their political career. Um, the 170 is all nice and good, but the, the millions of dollars that many of them just happen to find in their bank account after being in Washington and after a very short period of time is, is nothing short of breathtaking. And I'm not implying that it's ill-gotten gains, but it's certainly something that if you're a freshman, you don't want to throw that one down a rat hole by voting to impeach Donald Trump and then having the blowback in the district and, and, and just being a one-term congressman. I just don't see that happening. And I know a lot of calculations happen behind the scenes and, and people, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi or, or any majority leader will allow their rank and file to vote a certain way symbolically if they know they have the votes to carry the day. But, um, I don't know. I, I'm still, maybe it's hopeful on my part. I, I just don't see how this thing plays out and an impeachment vote actually happens and Donald J. Trump is impeached. I just don't see how that happens um, because there, there's too many self-preservationists involved, none the least of which is is Nancy Pelosi. But I, I don't know. I, I could be naive in the way that the world works. Um, Nancy Pelosi... This may not be fun for her anymore. She may be, you know, not that concerned with uh, retaining power in 2020. A fair amount of those freshmen, um, I, I don't know. They may get into lobbyist positions or they may have struck sweetheart deals with people um, just by taking one from the team. Okay, I'll, I'll vote against them and I'll lose my um, congressional seat but somebody will take care of me on the back end. I, I don't know how all those things work, but in Washington, stranger things have happened. But um, I just don't see how they can have that vote and impeach Donald Trump on such flimsy um, flimsy charges. And, and as I said before, um, you know that it's not 
sticking when every day a new narrative comes out. Quid pro quo didn't stick. Blackmail didn't stick. They say Burisma Biden every other sentence because they, they want even the, the most basic person out there that doesn't really, is not a political animal. They want them to understand. If quid pro quo and blackmail is too difficult to understand, if I say Burisma Biden and and um, they get trying to sabotage or get your political opponent and, and, and they now what they're trying to do is Donald Trump did this specifically to take out a political rival. And that that's pretty easy to understand. But if that doesn't stick, they may come up with something else tomorrow. Um, I do know that all of these people that I just chronicled have contradicted themselves left, right, and crazy under um, some very, very basic cross-examination even though this is kind of a kangaroo uh, court run by Adam Schiff, still uh, the these absolute patriots and heroes, um, Devin Nunes, Jim Jordan, uh, Mark Meadows, um, have done a fine job of exposing the aforementioned folks uh, to be absolute um, inconsistent with what they say, what they do. And um, so that's... Um, that's impeachment uh, for today. Uh, I, I'm tired. Um, I'm not going to go into any more of it. Uh, you know, it, it's it is what it is. Uh, I don't think a lot of Americans are paying attention to this thing, and I don't think they will until somebody actually votes. And then, wow, uh, our president just got impeached. Does that mean he's leaving next week? And and fifty percent of them probably think it is. You know, so then and only then will they pay attention. But um this is really scary that this is happening in in a country that is, you know, not a banana Republic. When this stuff happens in um, the people's Republic of wherever, or the democratic socialist country of whatever, um, when people are, you know, holding meetings in grass huts and stuff like that, then, then we say, okay, this stuff happens, but this is the United States of America. This is really, pretty chilling that the Democrats have the courage to do this. And, and I think their hatred of Donald Trump for so many reasons is really uh, driving it. And when you hate somebody and you're operating on emotion, um, you're not always thinking clearly. And um, as uh, Senator Santorum has always said, they, they always overplay their hands. And if you're frothing at the mouth, and you're just writhing with hatred and emotion towards somebody, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do stupid stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think they will eventually, but, um, that's impeachment for today. Let's put it to bed. We're going to go on a break in a second here. And on the other side of the break, what I can, um, what I can uh, talk about is, is Donald Trump in general, um, his, uh, his popularity, his likelihood of reelection, and um, some of the things I think that um, if I was in the Trump um, camp, I would be concerned about. But um, those are just based on my uh, observations here in suburban Philadelphia, and um, and many of these uh, swing states have a number of urban areas that um, Trump is going to have some trouble in with numbers and particularly these suburban areas around these metros. And, uh, that that's going to be challenging for him. So on the other side of the break, 
We're going to hit that. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. We will be right back. We are back, Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Rest of the show is impeachment-free, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I hope. Man, I hope. Anyway, you got to talk about it, but it is uh, very tiring, very draining. Anyway, um, Donald Trump in general, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit here. I uh, I do talk to you know, political, uh, politicos and, uh, political operatives in the state of Pennsylvania from time to time and get their beat on what's going on. And, um, it it is interesting, you know, uh, on the one hand, the conventional, um, story, shtick, whatever you hear from talk radio hosts or certain cable outlets that love Donald Trump is, they, they try to break this thing down as simply as they can. And they just say, look, if you guys keep with this impeachment thing, um, you are grossly underestimating um, the constituency out there. And if you think Donald Trump won before, um, he's going to win in a landslide in 2020. And, and that's the narrative that is being forwarded. And I think, um, I've always been a little bit bothered by that because I, I don't think that's entirely accurate. And if, if, um, if anything is, uh, indicative of that, we, we saw it a couple of weeks ago in the state of Pennsylvania and particularly in the suburbs around Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, you need numbers in, in state, in, in swing states such as Michigan what Michigan was never a swing state, but now it is Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Florida, uh, Wisconsin, Missouri. Um, uh, we can go on and on and on. These are, these are what they call purple states. They're, they're not blue. They're not, uh, red. They could go either way in, in those states in these, uh, presidential elections, particularly is, is, Donald Trump and whomever he goes against, they could quite easily be won 51 to 49 or 50.3 to 49.7. These are, these are very thin numbers. Um, in the state of Pennsylvania, Donald Trump won by about 30,000 votes. That ain't a lot for a very populated state such as Pennsylvania. And um, when I was talking to some operatives, they're not real. They're not really from a Republican standpoint, they're not really excited about 2020. And, um, this last election was very, I don't, I, you know, maybe it's a harbinger. Um, there, there are five major counties surrounding Philadelphia, two of which Montgomery and Chester County, um, were the Republicans were thumped uh, in, in such a resounding way that it hasn't seen, they, they haven't seen numbers um, so lopsided towards the Democrat or for the Democrats since the civil war. That's amazing. Um, Republicans up and down the line in Chester County, which is much more conservative and uh, Republican friendly than Montgomery County were shellacked. They were getting kicked to the curb from dog catcher all the way up to uh mayors and township supervisors and district attorneys and uh, all sorts of things. And it was not a good sign. And, you know, I talked to some friends of mine and they, they just said um, quite simply, Donald Trump has energized 
the Democrats, and they have worked their butts off in the last couple of years, uh, all culminating a couple of weeks ago with some major victories in the five counties around Philadelphia. And, And that is not unusual. I mean, Philadelphia is the sixth largest city in America, but cities like Detroit, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Miami, Orlando, St. Louis, um, these are all really big metropolitan areas. Now, we understand that in the city proper, Republicans have never got any more. Uh, they, they, they bounce back and forth from 8 to 12% usually, which is pretty anemic, uh, particularly in the African-American community. Um, I personally know a lot of African-Americans that love Donald Trump, so that may, that may change. But that's that's not where Donald Trump uh, could have some trouble. Um, there's a lot of people that have moved to the suburbs that are um, enlightened, moderate Democrats, or uh, their words, not mine, enlightened, moderate Republicans that are not big Donald Trump fans. And they voted for um, Democrats pretty largely a couple weeks ago. And the fear is if Donald Trump doesn't do well in the counties around uh, Philadelphia or the counties around any of those cities that I just mentioned in those battleground states, there simply is not enough numbers in uh, rural Pennsylvania or rural Ohio or rural Michigan uh, or rural Wisconsin or Missouri to carry the day uh, when you're talking about winning 50.3 to 49.7 or um, close, close numbers such as that. When, when you're talking about massive numbers can be moved in the cities and the suburban areas um, much more to the favor of Democrats than they can in the country. And as I've stated several times on this show, Donald Trump ain't sneaking up on anybody. And um, the Democrat Party and Hillary Clinton specifically were simply outworked in 2016. Now, nobody can uh, question Donald Trump's um, work ethic and the fact that he works 20 hours every single day. And I know people will work for him as well. But um, a lot of people don't like Donald Trump. And a lot of Democrats are very energized. So I, I, I tend to think Donald Trump will win re-election when the smoke clears. But this, this whole talk about landslides and yeah, you just keep this impeachment up and you're going to have a landslide on your hand. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying it. I'm not seeing it. Because if you look at this, Democrats are usually very unified and their hatred of Donald Trump is such that you know, they're pretty unified against Donald Trump. Rhinos can't stand Donald Trump. And there's a fair amount of rhinos, Democrat lights, if you will, that never did like Donald Trump, never will like Donald Trump, and won't vote for Donald Trump. And will do things in the legislature that um, if, if it spells a victory for Donald Trump or it makes Donald Trump good or uh, look good, they will not support it because of their hatred of Donald Trump. Now you're, you're always going to have those two categories, but there, there's another category of folks out there and that's conservatives that aren't real warm Donald Trump types. Um, they tolerate him. They understand that he is a tremendous, um, 
bonus on the ticket and he drags everybody across the finish line in a lot of districts, but they're not crazy about Donald Trump either. And and if your popularity is, is dragged down, if you will, by at least two of those groups and the third group, um, probably not as big numbers wise, but, um, it's bigger than you think it is. You got some trouble. Um, you know, it, it's really easy to look and see a rally of 20,000 people here and 25,000 people there and say, this guy's going to go on to victory. Um, I tend to think that he will, but I'm, I'm a lot more cautious than a lot of other people are about, um, about this election in 2020. Um, if, if you look at a lot, and I've said this numerous times, if you look at a lot of the victories, um, if you will, on this issue or that issue, um, they have been done by executive fiat. Uh, certainly not anything extra constitutional like Barack Obama did with his executive um, um, orders or fiat, if you will. But I, I have to ask you out there, if you're a conservative, when, when, when was a conservative or when were conservatives ever on board with executive uh, fiat? Um, I'm a big Ronald Reagan fan, but um, when Ronald Reagan was, was pushing very hard for the line item veto, you know, I, I was on the public airways saying, hey, hey, Ronnie, you know, you're not a king. Uh, you can't just take bills that cross your desk and just scratch things out that you don't like. You're not a king. We have uh, three branches of government. This is how laws are made. And you can't just scratch out what you don't like and and act like a king. And and conservatives have never should have never been into executive orders for this and that, because if you live by the executive order, you die by the executive order. So um, many of the things uh, Donald Trump, you could put in a, in a, uh, a little Dixie cup, the legislative victories he's had in the last three years. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And if, if you want to add up in a, in a campaign, uh, advertisement, all the wonderful things that have happened in the last three years that would not have happened if Hillary Clinton was um, president. I, I would, you know, I would be uh, inclined to agree with you that many, many great things have happened. But if you don't think that a fair amount of those things can be um, waved off the table magically in the first three weeks of a Democrat president's um administration, you're crazy because you live by the executive order, you die by the executive order. The same thing that Donald Trump did to a lot of uh, Barack Obama's executive orders, somebody's going to do to him. So um, you got, you got to understand that. And um, you're going to have more legislative victories if you get along with people a little bit better. And I know Donald Trump's a little abrasive and quirky and I, I know there's a lot of people, a lot of Republicans that um, they may not say it publicly, but they um, they just, you know, the guy rubs them the wrong way. So it, this isn't all roses for Donald Trump. At the end of the day, I think he's going to win um, in 2020, regardless of who goes against him. Um, speaking of who goes against him, there was actually a... Uh, a debate last night that nobody really watched. Um, I, I, I see this um, headline. It says MSNBC Democrat debate ratings are literally cut in half since um, the September debate. And it says the November Democrat presidential debate had the smallest audience of the election cycle 
which was half the size of the most watched debate. Um, in the key 25 to 40, uh, excuse me, 25 to 54 age demographic comprised uh, only 1.6 million of those viewers. Uh, and that, that's pretty anemic. We have a country of 330 million people, 1.6 million in that key demographic of 25 to 54 watched the debate. Um, I didn't watch it. I heard excerpts from it. And as much as I defended Joe Biden um, several shows ago, I think a lot of people were making a um, big deal out of his age. Um, I, I don't want to poo-poo my defense of Mr. Biden, but I, I will make this observation. From what I heard uh, of the excerpts of the debate, he sounded pretty old. He sounded rather feeble. He sounded rather old. He, he sounded um, kind of slow. And um, that may or may, I don't think that means any diminished capacity as some of his opponents have asserted. But I, but I do know when you're trying to get elected, particularly for president of the United States, you got to have some juice. And if you're going against Donald Trump, you really got to have some juice and you don't want to look old, sound old. We, we just, we live in a Madison Avenue culture and um, as much as somebody might be capable and we might like them, if they appear old or sound a little slow on the draw, then that's, um, that's not good in, in politics. And he sounded just a little, little tired, if you will, I'll be kind to him. Um, you know, the, the other, um, characters, I, I understand that, uh, Mr. Gang, excuse me, Andrew Yang was very upset that nobody called on him. Um, there's a little, you know, back and forth with, uh, uh, Kamala Harris, um, and, uh, and some folks and, and, um, and I know that Elizabeth Warren just, you know, stayed on message, um, eat the rich, eat the rich, eat the rich, eat the rich. And, uh, at the end of the day, she's going to have to bring a little bit more to the table than that. And what will be interesting is, um, is some of the, uh, uh, people that, that, say that they're jumping in, um, Michael Bloomberg, um, Deval Patrick, there probably will be others. And, uh, typically that's not a real good sign. If other, if people at this late stage of the game are jumping into the party, um, not a good sign for Democrats. So there's a lot of things going on with the impeachment, with these debates that nobody's watching. Um, a lot of interesting stuff. And we, uh, if you are a lover of this country or a lover of conservatism or liberty or right over wrong, there's a lot of things to, to be concerned about and a lot of things to fret about. And, um, you know, Matthew six, 19, uh, uh, or excuse me, Matthew six, uh, verse 25 through 34 speaks about anxiousness and, uh, how we, we should not be throttled up and worry about tomorrow and um, it's very hard to do. These are these are very troubling times. And if you have a heart for our country, and if you just look all around you and you you seemingly see that the, the world is absolutely twisted and whacked, you would not be incorrect in 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 your observation. But we um, God is in control, and we have to uh, we have to continue to just rest in that. So um, we have the debate. Um, one thing that I, I wanted to uh, get to as I saw um, Hong Kong standoff nearing end as more protesters surrender to the police. 
you know, that, um, what can you say? Um, the Chinese, they don't play and, um, they don't understand that it's the year 2019 and, um, they don't do well with, uh, their, their authority being challenged. And, um, the things that we hear, the reports we hear about, um, as far as, you know, um, what could be happening to these people once they're arrested and taken somewhere, I, I shudder to think it's probably quite a bit worse than, um, than it appears because it's just, um, it's not a good thing over there. And, um, and we, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Hong Kong. Um, they just want freedom. Um, everybody wants freedom anywhere they live. Um, some people can strive for it and we, they have structures that are more conducive to, uh, to being free and other places. It isn't that way. And that's why as, as Americans and as American leaders, we need to get up in the, in the village square and denounce these things and, and use the, um, the import or the respect or the heft of, of being an American president or American leader in order to denounce these things and put pressure on regimes to, um, to change, uh, change their ways. So, um, our prayers are with the folks in Hong Kong and, um, we can only, uh, we can only hope that reform happens and, uh, but you, you, you have people that for centuries have operated in a certain way and they're not about to change anytime soon. So when we come back on the other side of the break, um, I can, uh, relate to you a very interesting article. I, uh, I read, um, going with, you know, right versus wrong and the times changing. Um, this one is uh, Egyptian woman uses Christian doctrine to fight unequal Islamic inheritance laws. So um, that was an interesting story out of Cairo, Egypt, that I will chronicle on the other side of the break. This is Kirk Llewellyn, Reshaping America. We'll be right back. As I uh, set up before the break, Egyptian woman uses Christian doctrine to fight unequal Islamic inheritance laws. The uh, article goes on to say a Coptic Christian woman in Egypt is taking on the country's unequal Islamic inheritance laws that mean female heirs inherit half that of men. Huda Nasrallah, a 40-year-old human rights lawyer, has stood before three judges since her father passed away last year demanding an equal share of the property left to her brothers. Her brothers are in her corner testifying on her behalf, but officials have ruled against her twice, citing Islamic laws that favor men. It is not really about inheritance. My father did not leave us millions of Egyptian pounds, she said. I have the right to ask to be treated equally as my brothers. So um, Nasrallah has formulated her case around Christian doctrine, that dictates heirs, regardless of their gender, receive equal shares, but the courts have chosen to use Islamic law as their justification. And this is what people fail to realize, um, how unique this American experiment was um, hundreds of years ago. Um, 
we very much promote religious liberty and, and freedom of religion, but the state does not dictate what that religion will be. Compare and contrast that to Islam, where any Islamic country uh, on the face of the earth, the state is religion and religion is the state that are inextricably intertwined. You can't get away from it. Um, but you know, what's interesting is, uh, God is God over Islamic states or, uh, the states where Islam is not prevalent and stranger things have happened. Uh, we, there are numerous accounts of, of people getting justice in countries such as this. Now to me and you and in the United States of America, it seemed pretty logical. Our dad dies he gives us a pile of money. Um, we got a sister and two brothers, and if it's a hundred thousand bucks, then everybody gets thirty-three thousand three hundred and thirty-three bucks, if my math is right. And um, and we go on, and not so here. And um, the two men in question here are are getting a, a fair amount of this money, and the woman is getting a little bit less, or quite a bit less, and she is uh, fighting for that. Um, the last paragraph pretty much tells you everything you need to know about how good you have it in the United States of America and how, and, and quite frankly, Egypt is, is not a, um, a ultra Islamic, uh, nation like some other nations are. And, um, we can just chronicle back a few years ago after Hillary Clinton's Benghazi debacle and um, that that was in uh, Libya, I should say. But in Egypt, everybody after after um, Tahrir Square, everybody said, um, "Oh, the uh, the Islamic Spring is happening, and and uh, and uh, fairness and and this and that and the other is 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 coming to uh, coming to Libya as it as it did in Syria years before, as it did in Egypt, and um, lo and behold, nature abhors a vacuum, and the Muslim Brotherhood." came to be in power in Egypt. And I was very worried about that, but the Egyptians took care of that in short order. And I'm, I'm not saying that their regime uh, approximates um, our form of government in any way, shape, manner, or form. But when the Muslim Brotherhood came to power in Egypt a few years ago, um, the military and some leaders um, took care of that pretty quickly. And I was heartened by that. But um, I will read you this last um, paragraph. Um, as, as much as Egypt is not like some other countries in the Middle East, it, uh, the, the article says, after calls for equal inheritance rights were introduced in the Arab world, Egypt's Al-Azhar, the highest Sunni religious institution in the Muslim world, vehemently dismissed the proposal as contrary to Islamic law and destabilizing to Muslim societies. Yes, I, I would, I would think that it would be destabilizing. Um, somebody gets a little freedom, a little fairness and their brother or their sister or their neighbor wants a little freedom and fairness, fearing that if the state offers equal property rights to Christian women, that Muslim women will soon request the same rights. So they don't want to do that. And they're on record as saying, you know, um, we don't need you Christian women coming in here and asking for your fair share, because if you do, then our Muslim women will soon request the same thing. 
And um, so uh, Nasrallah feels compelled to make her case and hopes to set a precedent for the others at Egyptians, uh, Egypt's Supreme Constitutional Court. So we will pray for her and we will pray that she um, gets a equal cut of whatever um, her father said she should have. And, um, you know, these are, these are things that, that people fight for and claw for every day. And it's not just, I'm not picking on um, the um, Islamic states where, you know, women would be severely um, disciplined for wearing nail polish or daring to drive or daring to go out in public without a male uh, relative. I mean, these are all things that we just can't even fathom in the United States of America. I'm not, I'm not just picking on Islamic women. You can go to countries that are not Islamic countries in Europe and you would be stunned of the pecking order, if you will, or the hierarchy of, of the man is here and the woman is there. Um, you know, I, I, um, there, I've been to several European countries where, um, the, uh, we would look over this beautiful piece of property and, um, the, uh, the, uh, owner of the property died and, and gave it to his, um, children. It was very similar to this situation here. This, this gentleman that died had some property and he just wanted it divided among his three children. And, um, I saw one of these properties and it was overlooking a, a, a vineyard and it was sprawling and beautiful. And it was like, I, I said to, I, I ignorantly said to one of the children of the, uh, of the gentleman that had died a few years before. And I said, this is, this is amazing. This property that you have. I mean, I, I'm sure that uh, if you ever get tired of enjoying it, which I don't see how you would, and you wanted to sell it, you would just, you'd be set for life. And the woman looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, and this was very sobering. She said, I am a woman. This is good for my brothers, but I'm a woman. And they, they take care of all this and they benefit from all this and they will benefit from all this as far as uh, they take their family here uh, families here, they uh, eventually will sell it, but I am a woman, so I, I get nothing. And I, I, I just stared at her like, and I said to myself, this is so sad, but that's how the planet works in a lot of places. Um, women do not have the rights that they, uh, they should have. And particularly here in Egypt, um, this lady is fighting for just something that we think is pretty basic. You know, uh, the father dies, wants to give her some money and she's got to fight and claw for it. Um, as the show is winding down here, I will, um, I saw an article, our old friend Al Gore is, uh, back in the news. Um, if I can find it in a stack of stuff. Um, come on now. Anyway, um, I'll just, do it. I'll wing it because I can't find it. Um, I found it. Al Gore compares climate change to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. How about that? Does that surprise you that Al Gore um, in November of the year 2019 is still making crazy statements? Um, I'm telling you, it, it, it is as if he has not made enough money off um, 
climate change, global warming, whatever. He's still he's still beating that pony. And it says here, former Vice President Al Gore characterized change in the climate as a crisis akin to the terrorist attacks of 9-11 and the siege on Pearl Harbor in 1941. Gore 71 kicked off a climate activism campaign called 24 Hours of Reality. How about that for an oxymoronic title? With harsh words for anyone pushing against proponents of climate alarmism. At Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Gore's stomping grounds. Um, interestingly enough, um, they did not vote for um, Al Gore in the uh, 2000 election. Isn't that fascinating that uh, his home state, who probably knows him quite a bit better than any other state, he lost Tennessee to George W. Bush. Uh, Gore asserted that the change in the climate was a crisis that should be compared to the Al-Qaeda attack of 9-11 and World War II battles such as Midway, Dunkirk, and the surprise attack by the Japanese on Pearl Harbor. Gore said that the climate change was the life and death struggle of people alive today. The terrorist attacks and battles mentioned by Gore amounted to tens of thousands of violent deaths. So um, I I really don't know what to say. You know, I'll kind of wind it down after that. Um, You know, that's another guy that could have been president. And um, I shudder to think what would happen if he was, but um, he's still out there and he's spouting nonsense. He is a, a, a multi-gazillionaire on this um, eco-fleece that he promotes. And um, now he's he's uh, doubling, quadrupling down on, um, on crazy statements by saying that climate change, 9-11, Pearl Harbor, they're all pretty much... Um, on the same plane. So, um, maybe a good way to end the show there. Um, take heart, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's, it's very, very difficult to look out of the landscape and, and see what Adam Schiff is doing and see what some of these ambassadors are doing and hear what Al Gore is doing. Um, and what, uh, people are going through in other countries. And it, it's really very easy to think this whole thing is spinning out of control, but the Lord has this, planet in the palm of his hands. His will will win out at the end of the day. And we should take heart and just do what he wants us to do and obey him and try in our little orb, whatever, wherever that is, or whatever he wants us to do to change the world for the better. And um, it's all we can do. So this is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Um, Until the next show, uh, have a good day.